everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, par usual, is uh, my other co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, Jeff, it's been uh, it's been a crazy fun week. Uh, I, I love it when baseball gets into this time of year. And the MLB app, you can watch all the games all day, all night, and really, really upset your wife. Oh, is this, are we sponsored now by MLB.tv? That's pretty cool. <laughs> no, I'm just excited. Oh, okay. That's well, all. as an A's fan, I am not, and I'm uh, I'm tired of baseball right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you still love the history aspect. Yes, and, and we yeah. do have some, uh, we've got some good history stuff coming up today. We have got, first of all, first and foremost, I should say, we're going to have the second part of our interview with the Padre and Giants pitcher Dave Dravecki, which is awesome. I want to say, you know, we've got some good stuff in that interview. Now, first of all, I also want to say I did not bring up Ricky Henderson in this interview at all. And the reason I didn't is because Ricky never faced Dave Dravecki. So I wasn't going to ask him the question. I usually ask him, but it came up on its own without me bringing up Ricky Henderson. So I just want to put that out there right away. (laughs) But there is some Ricky talk, so stick around for that. He's, he's got a bunch of other great things that we talk about with him. And also, he was nice enough to stick around and play Wax Packs Heroes with us, where uh, we opened a pack of 1986 tops right in his right in the middle of his career. And he had some he got some decent cards and had some things to say about several of the players, uh, except for, of course, Johnny Ray, who I am the only person that remembers who Johnny Ray is, period. Yeah, well... Obviously, you were you were very fond of Johnny Ray, and the rest of us just didn't have the uh, intelligence to follow the guy. Yeah, didn't you didn't know what was coming up with Johnny Ray? But uh, that is coming up later. First of all, though, we need to get into our usual batting practice segment here and uh, do a couple of quick things while we uh, take some cuts in the cage. So let's get right into it. First of all, Mark, we're going to start with a little bit of trivia, and we're going to start with some friends trivia. Okay. We do this often, don't we? Friends trivia on a baseball history podcast. But yeah, I wanted to talk about probably my favorite character in, in Friends, Chandler Bing. And uh-huh. uh, in several episodes, they show Chandler in his office, in his cubicle. So this is this is early Friends before he gets a promotion and has an actual office. He's in a cubicle. And in there, in, in, his, in his stuff... He has got a baseball cap and a baseball glove. I'm not sure why he needs the glove there at work. But did you have any idea what Major League Baseball team Chandler Bing was a fan of? I'm going to go with the Mets. (laughs) You see, that would make sense. The Mets or the Yankees. (laughs) But no, he's a big Blue Jays fan, apparently. Really? Yeah, there is a Blue Jays hat in a couple of scenes in in his cubicle. Now Matthew Perry is Canadian, so maybe that was a maybe that was a nod to his home country. No, or, maybe. I've got well, you know, the, the Blue Jays were also good in the in the nineties for, for were. quite a bit of time. But I have a feeling that that was probably a nod to maybe his favorite team. All right, that's enough French trivia. Let's move on. But continuing down the nineteen nineties TV show road with baseball ties, I did something. I took one for the team here for this podcast. I watched an episode of Harry and the Hendersons. Now, not the movie. There was a TV right. show that lasted for somehow three seasons. <laughs> I did this wow. so that nobody else that listens to this podcast has to do it. I watched an episode of Harry and the Hendersons. And just so our listeners know, you're off the hook now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to do it. This was actually from the first season. It was in 1991, and there was an appearance by the Griffies. Both really? of them. Yeah. So the storyline goes that the uh, the son of the of the main guy in this show he sucks at baseball, and there's there's a father son baseball game coming up, and the father's been waiting for, you know, the chance to to play baseball with his kid, but the kid sucks. Not good. He likes baseball, but he's not good at it. So the Griffies are in town in Washington because this takes place, obviously, in Washington. Because right, we're very yeah, Bigfoot. But for some reason, they're rarely there. Apparently, so they're in town for one day only. And uh, of course, the father somehow has access to go and meet them at a TV studio. Ultimately, (laughs) 
they go, they help the kid out. It, you know, happy, good feels all around. Ultimately, you know, Junior ended up with the better baseball career, but Senior definitely got the the acting chops. Much, oh, nice. much more natural and, you know, actually did acting as opposed to just reading some lines, which <laughs> a very wooden Junior did at that point. <laughs> and then, of course, to nobody's surprise, uh, Bigfoot, very good baseball player. Harry, oh, really? Yeah, he can he can hit the ball a ton and throw. Big strike he's zone. Got, he's got a, yeah, oh, yeah, big strike zone. He's got a hose, and uh, he can really hit the ball very hard. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, you get those arms extended out there. If you're a Sasquatch, you can really rope things. By the way, in this episode, Griffey Jr. says, do you want to go play catch? He does not say, do you want to go have a catch? So just another yes. strike against these people that are railing online about calling it have a catch. It is not, you cannot have a catch. You, you can't own it. So let's move on. Please. It's, the, you know, that's from Field of Dreams, of course, where, you know, and then people like swear by it now, but Field of Dreams didn't invent baseball. Come on, folks. No. And I know during the, you know, leading up to that Field of Dreams game, that was a hot topic on the yes. internet well, was have a catch oddly or enough. Catch. <laughs> oh i love social media all right let us move on it is time for now i think this might be becoming our second most popular segment of the show it's time for the lars newt bar update newt 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 all right so we're recording this a little bit early which is odd i'm going to i'm going to have this show edited and, and and uploaded before the weekend's over, which is odd. We are going from last Tuesday and we're recording on Saturday. So just a couple of games here. Lars has been in the lineup. He is, he is I don't want to say cemented himself, but he's worked his way into a regular role for the time being. But Lars is 0-4 this week. <laughs> not not the way to stay in the lineup. A little rough uh, so far. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, hit a, he's hit a rough patch, but he does have three home runs, 10 RBI this year in 29 games as of Friday. He's slashing 250, 333, and 441 for an OPS of 775, which is totally respectable for most players these days, but let alone a rookie. I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of Lars there. Yeah, I, I am too, man. I, I had the pleasure of actually watching a, a Cardinals game. I made it a point to watch Mr. Newtbar. Well, I can't. I admit, I, I just wait for people to DM me that Lars does. <laughs> <laughs> I was just excited. I didn't want to wait for the DM. I wanted to know first. Listen, I'm watching. I've been watching a lot of Reds and Padres games this year, so that kind of takes up my National League quotient there. So, gotcha. quota. I'm sorry, but uh, now I, I've become increasingly more frustrated this year with looking at batting averages because they're utterly useless in today's game. But Lars keeps bouncing around this 250 mark for the batting average. So we have the Mendoza line, right? Which is, we've talked about it. It's 200 despite his career average being 215. I want to propose a a new stat level. I want to call it the Newt Bar Bar. (laughs) <laughs> or maybe maybe it's oh, just the, it's just the newt bar, <laughs> the newt bar. <laughs> which is 250 yeah I, I see i see where you're going yeah so yeah like like i think the kd line would be 247 right because chris davis hit 247 you know 13 that years in a row whatever right. so i think 250 should be the newt bar that's new with two o's yeah <laughs> and two a's this i'm still workshopping it we'll we'll see how that pans out there you are with the uh, Lars newt bar hopefully we have some more good news next week okay so this show is debuting on august 31st let's get into our debut segment and find out who exactly debuted on august 31st first of all we got a former guest of the show west chamberlain made his debut uh, we had him on uh, he had a we had a fun round with him on wax packs heroes the big one i wanted to talk about was 1996 no para Made his um, debut with the Red Sox. Noma. Noma. Now, Noma, I'm, I'm just calling him Nomar. Of course, Nomar is Ramon spelled backwards, his dad's name, which, I, you know, now you see Nomar's elsewhere. There's Nomar Mazara. 
yeah. uh, is in the big leagues. I've seen a couple of other Nomars. I've, now it's kind of commonplace, but I always thought that was funny that it was his dad's name backward. If I had a child, he could be named Fedge. Right, and I wouldn't do that to my kid. Nobody wants to be called Cram. <laughs> <laughs> Odd kind of stat trivia question for Nomar Garcipar. He is the only player in baseball history to hit three home runs in a regular season game that was his birthday. Oh, wow. So July 23rd, 2002, he hit three home runs. That was his birthday. Good birthday present to yourself. Boy, I guess. I saw that Patrick Wisdom, the, the rookie for the Cubs, it was his birthday a couple of days ago, and he hit two on his birthday. But I I also looked it up. That's happened like 48, 47 times, something like that. <laughs> Some so, people enjoy their birthdays more than others. Yeah, I guess. it's, it's, it's kind of, it almost falls in that, you know, hitting a home run in your first at-bat category of, well, actually quite a few people have done it. But uh, he did it three times, the only player to do that he also had the highest single season batting average by a right-handed batter in the post-war era when he hit 372 in 2000 of course wow. he, he led the league that year now when he was playing i i don't i clearly did not appreciate him as much as i should have he won the rookie of the year in 1997 he was a six-time all-star he won two batting titles back-to-back -back in 99 and 2000 he was beset with injuries throughout his entire career. If he could have stayed healthy, I think Nomar Garciaparra would have been a definite Hall of Fame contender. Yeah, he was, a, he was a lot better than I remember him being. I think that's an East Coast, West Coast kind of thing. Because I, I, I was doing the same recently, and I went, man, that dude was good. Yeah. So he played for 14 years. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe eight of those did he play more than 120 games? So half of his career, he didn't even reach 100 games played. Wow. So he was really injured a lot. But those years that he's healthy, there's a lot of black ink. A 313 career batting average, a 361 career on base, and a 521 slugging. That equals a 124 OPS plus for his career. So, Not bad at all. Yeah, very good. He had pop, could definitely hit for average. He could steal. He had, let's see, four years with double figures, 95 stolen bases in his career. A really, really good player. Just could not stay healthy, unfortunately. Let's talk about some of the things we like to talk about here, some pop culture references. Noma appeared as himself on the October 14th, year 2000 episode of Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live used to have a skit with Jimmy Fallon and Rachel Drack where they were they were the Boston teens, if you remember this, where they would sit around and they would just talk in that Boston accent and just, you know, say wicked, no ma. Like, that's all, pretty much the whole shtick. <laughs> but uh, he did actually come in and surprise them on an episode and they could just, they couldn't stop saying no ma. And now I'm, I'm talking in an awful Boston accent. <laughs> so hey, I apologize. Hey, it's an attempt. Come on, man. So, yeah, I'm attempting to speak in a Boston accent. He also appeared in two episodes of Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Wow, a, a budding uh, thespian, this guy. I loved that show. I will not lie. I binged it a little while ago. Again, Ryan Reynolds, a very young Ryan Reynolds in that show. Uh, but it took place in Boston. And then he also was on an episode of Hell's Kitchen. Uh, of course, married to U.S. soccer legend Mia Hamm. They were married in 2003. They are still together, which is awesome. And uh, October 7th, 2005, Garcia Parra, along with his uncle Victor, no word on if Victor named his kids Rorkiv. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they, were, uh, they were hanging out in Boston Harbor, and they heard screaming. And apparently two women had fallen into the harbor outside of uh, Nomar's condominium that was there. One of the women sustained injuries to her head after hitting the pier on her way in. Garcia Parra quickly jumped into the harbor and saved both women's lives. They were pulled out of the water with his help, taken to the hospital, and survived. And Nomar was a hero. Way to go, Nomar. That's pretty cool. All right. 
Let's get into our trivia question. Uh, we got uh, a couple of answers, a couple of correct answers. The usual suspects, I'm going to start calling them, uh, gave us the correct answer. Let's see, Mark, what you came up with. The question was, there have been 13 players who have hit two grand slams in a single game. Every right. one of those, though, was on the road except for one player who did it at home. Who is the only player to have hit two grand slams in a home game? Fernando Tatis. No. That was, ah. that was definitely on the road. Yeah, this is good. First of all, I, I, let's just get it out there. Chris Cook and, and Brian Krauss, our usual suspects, got the answer right. But what is great about this is we just talked about him. It's Nomar Garcia Parra. Oh, is it really? Yes, he did it May 10th, 1999 <laughs> against the Mariners. Against the Mariners. Oh, that's that makes me feel much better. At Fenway, yeah. All right, so I've got a new question for you. This one is short and sweet. I knew it complete when I wore younger man shoes. And uh, now I shoot. Now we got to pay Billy, uh, Billy Joel some. Uh, you some, owe Billy Joel a nickel. Yeah, he's going to nick us on that. Who has hit the most home runs in the most number of innings? So, okay. who's hit a home run in the most number of innings? That it, it's a simple question. Um, okay, <laughs> it is very simple. It is very simple. It's uh, it's a. We'll see. I don't know. Some of these I think are tough. And then by the time I wake up on Tuesday morning, I already got DMs with people telling me the answer. So, go for it. Let's see who can uh, who can figure out who has hit the most number of home runs in the most. Not the most number of home runs, but who's hit a home run in the most innings? So we will give you that answer next week when we are back for another show. But let us right now, let's wrap up our BP segment and let's get ready to, this is good stuff. Uh, we really do, again, want to say thank you to Dave Trevecki. He spent a lot of time with us and it's a lot Dude. of fun just to talk with him and just kind of bring up something and then it leads to something else and he had a lot of stories and uh we really appreciate his time we're going to go into the second part of our interview with dave where as i mentioned we talked about ricky henderson again not my doing <laughs> ask him about mound visits pitching at candlestick park a very unique park and a great great story that he has about gaylord perry there are a lot of good Gaylord Perry stories. This was a good one. And then, of course, he played Wax Packs Heroes with us. So now let us uh, get right into it. And let's listen to the second part of our interview with Dave Dravecki. It's kind of interesting. You you are like Ricky Henderson. You bat right-handed, but you throw left-handed. Yeah. Oh, look yeah, at that. Yeah, my favorite player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I, every now and then on my... Uh, um, on the MLB app when I'm watching the Giants and they have the commercials in between. Yeah. Uh, MLB highlights, they show Ricky, you know, stealing that base. Yeah. And it is classic Ricky Henderson with the mic in his hand. I am <laughs> the greatest. Now I'm going to stick up for my boy here. His idol was Muhammad Ali. And, you oh. know, he was trying to mimic that and he is. I, I'm so glad that he is, can now see that the way that he said it really came off wrong. And, you know, I went to I went to Cooperstown when he was inducted. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I was so, you know, I was nervous as everybody was about his speech. And he worked so hard on that speech. And uh, he did such a great job with that speech when he was inducted. And uh, I, I hope he's made up for that. <laughs> well, when I watch it, it doesn't bother me because I'm sitting there looking at him and going, you are, you actually mm -hmm. are. And, mm -hmm. and we've seen very little since then. Oh, yeah. is that when it comes to yeah. stealing bases, when it comes to that man's athletic ability, I mean, when you think about it, how crazy it is, when you think about Ricky Henderson and, and his stats as a leadoff hitter. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. Now, no one comes close. No. And, and I think the thing I've, you know, I've, I've got a few friends that, uh, that knew him and, and, and still see him from time to time. And they say he is a wonderful human being, just the greatest guy. So I've never had the opportunity to even spend any time with him, but, um, but I certainly loved watching him play. And I love that scene on, on the highlights of MLB. Um, when I'm watching my Giants play, because it's always about, you know, the battle by the bay is wonderful. And <clears throat> there's never any animosity or any 
kind of rivalry there because it's American League National League and it's two bookends holding up the bay. And that's why it's so important that Oakland doesn't leave. Yeah. You know, because they're iconic organizations with storied history that allow us to look back and enjoy the beauty of the game of baseball the way we loved it. And, you know, because it's, and I don't mean to sound like I'm getting on a soapbox, but it's not like it, it's not like today is, is not like it once was, you know, the game is very different. And, and back then, I mean, my gosh, Vita Blue was one of my heroes growing up as a kid and Joe Rudy in left field and, you know, Gene Tennis behind the dish and Campy Campanaris at shortstop and Catfish Hunter and Blue Moon Odom. And you, I mean, you could go up and down the list of people that played in that organization. And then you had, what was it, Charlie Finley, who was the owner and brought his own flair. And you, you brought had, something. It was baseball the way it's supposed to be played. You know, yeah. you think about the Giants and you got McCovey and Mays and Marichal and Cepeda and, and you've got uh, Gaylord. I mean, I went to Gaylord's uh, statue unveiling at Oracle Park, and it's right in front of the Second Street and King Street intersection in left field. The statue sits right there. And I'll never forget going and Gaylord got up and everybody had made some wonderful comments about Gaylord and then it was his time to speak. And he maybe spent five minutes just talking about what a great honor it was to be a giant and for this statue commemorating him and all that. And then he said, you know, he said, you've got, you guys have been so generous to me and you've given me this amazing gift. I have a gift for all of you. And he said, I want you each to reach down under your chair and grab what's taped underneath there. So we all reach down and we pull it out and it's a little jar of Vaseline. <laughs> that is outstanding. That's baseball, man. That's what yes. baseball is. That's what it's all about. That's, that's, that's why it's America's greatest pastime. That's right. Say quit messing with it, guys. You're messing with it, with it to try and find a fan base that doesn't exist. Your fans are generational. Your fans will connect as mom and dads bring them their kids to the ballpark. And then those kids bring their kids. And now it's grandpa and, you know, dad and son. You know, it's, that's the beauty of the game of baseball. Don't mess with it. Boy, I tell you what, you, you, are, uh, you are among people who are, are completely supportive. It's, I, I miss a lot of the aspects of the game, like the stolen base. And like you were talking, how important a sacrifice bunt can be and stuff like that. And it's, it's, I mean, people don't even focus on average. It's all, it's all power right now. And that's how you get paid is by hitting home runs. You know, and I'll sit and I'll have conversations with fans that are obviously very passionate about this stuff because they're disturbed by it too. And we start talking about the shift and I'll go, you know what? They got to abolish the shift. This is ridiculous. These poor left-handers have no chance. And then the guy that's there with me, who's a huge baseball fan and loves the past over what's going on now says, the real problem is he's thinking lefties don't not hit the opposite way. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, I get that. You know, you've got the shift, but back in the day, I remember when anybody tried to do that, oh man, you could never, you could never figure out where a player was going to be hitting the ball. Even Mike Schmidt, who was a pool hitter or Gary Carter or one of those guys, Dave, well, Dave Parker, you couldn't play him to the right all the time. That dude was hitting with power to left center field and the other side of the diamond. You know, when he was from the left side, you know, and from the from the right side, I, obviously the dude raked me, so I had no clue what to do with him. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. yeah, that's that's part of the, the struggle with the game these days. But I still love it. Oh, yeah. That, I still love it. So, so do we. We're, <laughs> that's why we're here every week. Um, I got I got two more quick questions for you, and then let's so uh, let's open a pack of baseball cards here and see who yeah, uh, who great. we can pull. We like to ask this to all of our our pitching guests. Obviously, Bull Durham is a great movie. Great scene on the on the mound where they're talking about candlesticks and live chickens. What is your most memorable mound visit? Dick Williams, nineteen eighty two. Two weeks into the season, I'm throwing 55-foot fastballs. <laughs> All of a sudden, I find myself in a game, still throwing 55-foot fastballs, and Dick Williams calls timeout and marches to the mound. And he looks at me, and he just simply says this, rookie, 
if you don't start throwing strikes, I'm sending you back to AAA. And I looked him in the eyes and I didn't say this, but this is what I thought. Hawaii wouldn't be a bad place to go to right now. Because <laughs> it was that bad. Oh, every wow. now and then, every now and then, someone would come out and they would they would go, man, I just wanted to come out and see how you're doing. You know, you're rushing a little bit too much, but, uh, I, you know, just don't be sitting here thinking about what you're going to be eating for dinner tonight. You know, just focus on the game and get your strikes and let's get out of here. You know, but for the most part, there were none, there were never very many memorable moments in relationship to a, a coach coming out to the mound. It was that one vivid moment that I didn't want to go back to AAA, actually. I wanted to stick. Very, I was very grateful that Dick Williams gave me another chance. And it was, it was because of Clyde McCullough, our bullpen coach, that Jack McKeon held off on sending me back down. And Clyde McCullough went to Jack and said, give me two weeks with the kid and I'll straighten him around. Guys, I got to tell you something. I was standing on the bullpen doing bullpens with Clyde. And I kept wondering, what's he going to do to straighten me out? He's not saying anything. He's not doing anything. And the second or third time I was up doing a bullpen, he stands behind me and all of a sudden I rear back and I throw a strike and it pops in the glove and he stops me and he goes, did you feel it? I said, yeah, it felt good. He goes, do you think you can repeat it? I said, well, let me see. I'll try. So I stepped back and I just relaxed and boom, it exploded. Did you feel it? I said, yeah, I felt it. He goes, Dave. That's what I want you to repeat every time you're out there. You don't worry about anything else but repeating the feel. That's it. Session was done. Didn't stop me with my mechanics, break it down. Let me know what my spin rate was, whether or not I was spinning it really hard with my four-seamer versus my two-seamer, all that junk. He said, did you feel it? And he said, "If you feel, well, you'll know when you feel it. Trouble with the curve. Did you hear it, honey? Did you hear it? Yeah, exactly. I heard it. Well, with Clyde, it was, did you feel it? And man, when I felt it and he said, repeat it. And then he said, that's all it is, Dave. Just keep repeating that feeling. Because when you, when you feel that everything is where it's supposed to be. Gotcha. Thank you. Very there you much. go. <laughs> well, you said, a, you said a word there that was going to be my, my last question for you. And you said the word stick. And of course, when you were at the Giants, you played at lovely Candlestick Park. Yeah. I've not had the chance to talk with anybody that that pitched there or played there in that ice box. <laughs> and I just want to know, I mean, I, I, I'm i interested to hear your thoughts on Candlestick Park and, and having to pitch there. Well, I'll keep it short and sweet. I loved it. It was a, an awesome ballpark to pitch in. I was one who embraced the elements. I was actually pretty successful at Candlestick from what I've come to understand. I love the fact that Roger Craig kept the infield grass high and thick because I was a sinker ball pitcher and I was not afraid of the cold. As a matter of fact, I would pitch without my sleeves in the middle of the afternoon and late at night at Candlestick Park. I knew, and, and I guess to sum it all up, this will tell you why. When I played for the Padres, there was only one place in the entire National League that Tony Gwynn complained to hit in. And that was Candlestick Park. <laughs> and I thought if Tony Gwynn does not like hitting in Candlestick Park, how many others are in the same boat as him? Which means that I have a psychological edge when I'm pitching in Candlestick Park. And so Candlestick was my favorite place. It was a beautiful place. And I will always remember it. As a matter of fact, I have two orange chairs from the stick in my backyard. Nice. Well, I, I had to do it. I looked up your stats here at, at Candlestick 13 and 7 with a 206 ERA. Ooh. Wow. That is that's not bad. 21 starts, 7 complete games. So again, you're on that every every third game you go you go the distance at Candlestick. Yeah, I I love that ballpark, man. Mm. Dave, I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about endurance. What we did uh, 30 years ago after all of this kind of went down my wife and I wanted to figure out a way in which we could give back. I think that's one of the things when I shared with you guys the story of being in the midst of the struggle and after retirement, the journey that we went on through that journey of a lot of bad and a lot of ugly. What I learned about myself and about others and what 
our desire as a couple would become is to actually turn around once we got to the other side and give back to others what was given to us during that most difficult time because people loved us well when we were unlovely. Let me rephrase that. People loved me well when I was unlovely. When we got to the other side, and, and in particular because of the battle with her depression, we really wanted to be able to help others. And so we formulated a nonprofit. At the beginning, it was a foundation, but we weren't an organization that was collecting money. We were an organization that was encouraging cancer patients and amputees and responding to literally thousands of people sharing their stories with us. And so obviously the journey through publishing our story and other resources to encourage people through pain and suffering became the mission of what is now Endurance with Jan and Dave Drabecki. And that's literally to offer comfort, encouragement, and hope to those suffering with cancer, amputation, or depression. We also will help folks that are battling other types of illnesses, but we found that the majority because of our story is around cancer. And, and the critical component in that, Mark, is that you know, the medical community does a pretty good job of managing the physical side. I know that there are a lot of issues that revolve around our healthcare, but at the same time, it's amazing how well people can be cared for. My wife, I mean, she, she says this often. She goes, why, when somebody is battling with depression, why do we treat the brain, a very physical part of our body, different from our heart, yeah. from our liver, from our kidneys, from our lungs. Those are all physical issues that get cared for medically. Why, why do we create this stigma around depression being something other than physical? Because the brain is a physical thing. Sure. Oftentimes, you know, they're all, there's all kinds of paths that lead to depression. I don't think you can pigeonhole it to one or two things that cause people to get depressed. But I've experienced depression, and my depression comes out of anxiety. Jan experiences depression out of burnout and anxiety. So there's all kinds of things that happen. But the reality is, when we go through depression, our body is telling us something. And so we need to pay attention to that and get the help that we need. I'll never forget how important it was for me, as much as I resisted it, because of my pride and my ego as a man saying I need help because I'm depressed was the best thing I could have ever done. After that, um, I spent a year in counseling dealing with my anger issues. Those 30 months of counseling were some of the most beautiful times that the two of us had in understanding each other understanding our own individual pain because of what we were both experiencing through cancer and uh, dealing with an identity crisis that I was going through personally that I, now that I was no longer a baseball player. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate you referring to that mark because it's because of those things that my wife and I are in a very healthy place today, but it doesn't mean we don't continue to struggle with depression. It's a very real thing. We're just grateful that uh, our story, which is one of those pieces that we use to bring encouragement to people, has allowed for conversations to occur. But yes, and That's the good thing, is that people Absolutely. are not afraid to talk about it. That's what endurance does. We just simply provide resources. And for us, it's really about helping to answer the question, where is God when it hurts? Oftentimes, people find themselves in the midst of that struggle, and they wonder where he's at, like he's disappeared. It doesn't necessarily mean that my desires for a certain thing to happen are going to happen, but what it does help me see is that when I go into that dark place, he's in there with me, and I know that because a bunch of, bunch of beautiful people show up to love me while I'm in there. We'll be sure to, uh, we'll have in our show notes, we'll have all the links to, you know, your website for, for endurance and your, yeah. you know, all of, all of your information. So anybody that, and, and obviously if anybody needs help to, to please reach out and some great resources and some, some great things that you're doing. And, and we appreciate yeah. that as well. And Jeff, please let them know that it's at no cost. If you're struggling and you're battling with cancer or depression, 
that encouragement gift box we send to you at no cost. Please make sure that you uh, make people aware of that. We have a bunch of wonderful people that have come alongside Jan and I and helped underwrite the cost of that. So we're very grateful for it. Okay, well, let's uh, let's start to wrap it up. Like I said, what we like to do with all of our guests here at the end is we like to open up uh, a pack of baseball cards. It's a segment that we call Wax Packs Heroes. Wax Pack Heroes! It's always fun when we get a former player because we try to get a, a pack from their era so that uh, hopefully you've got some stories and so forth with some of these guys. We do. Uh, I'm, I guarantee you, you will. So this is a pack of 1986 tops. This is right in your wheelhouse here. We do some scoring. Uh, how we do it is we look up the player's baseball reference war, which is One where your favorite I, stats. Yes. <laughs> but uh, baseball reference is, is where I've been getting all these stats. It's a great website. So we'll look at their war for that year. We also have a couple of other things that can add or subtract some points. So if they are wearing glasses, whether they be sunglasses, flip downs, or in the 80s, it was those big... Uh, I call them science teacher glasses. We advance law on, and he had yeah. those huge ones. Yeah. Uh, you'll get an extra tenth of a point of war. If you're wearing real stirrups where we can see your sanitary socks, we yeah. like that. That's an extra yeah. tenth point of war. If they're wearing, though, two-in-ones, you know, the sewn-on ones, we don't like that. So that's a minus a tenth of point of war. If they are wearing sweatbands that have either their jersey number or uh, remember Tony Gwynn had the caricature of him on that. We love those. They're called Mims bands. Extra tenth of a point of war for those. Dusty Baker, by the way, still wears his. Yep, he does. Absolutely. And that toothpick. (laughs) He's got that. Uh, Any kind of awards that they won that year. Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove. Extra half a point of war because those are good. If they are now a Hall of Famer, they get a whole point of extra war. And one of our new things is for our guests, we're going to give you an extra tenth of a point of war if you were ever a teammate of any of these guys. And then we total it up at the end and we see what we come up with. So if you're ready, we'll go ahead and open this pack and see what we come up with. Good luck. I am not a baseball fan. Oh, the history. Well, I'm sure. Well, in here you can you can see it. Our, our viewers can't so much. The, oh, the gum is stuck to the, the back of the. Gum. the okay, a, so so my grandson my grandson actually opened up a pack like that, and and I said, "Give me the gum, guys. I want the gum." Oh, big mistake. <laughs> I ate the gum. I mean, it literally just crumbled in my mouth. It wasn't yep. even sticky. Nothing. It was just chalk. Shards of gum. Yeah, it was shards of gum. <laughs> I, we've all made that mistake recently. Uh, <laughs> 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 all right. So let's go through here and let's see uh, who we can come up with. Now, in in 86, not my strongest year. Uh, 86 was really the first year I started watching baseball full time. So some of these guys I might not remember, but you, uh, you and Mark may. So here is first with the Astros pitcher Jeff Calhoun. Now, I do not know Jeff Calhoun, and by the look on both of your faces, neither uh, neither do you. Uh, not familiar. Hey, the name, I vaguely remember the name, but uh, he does not jump off his card at me. Uh, Jeff played for five years in the big leagues. Uh, let's see, mainly a reliever. Ended up with a career 2.51 ERA, not too bad. No. In 1986, he went 1-0 and with 20 games out of the bullpen and an ERA of 3.71. And that equates to a war of 1.2, uh, which is good. It's a That's a good start. Yeah. Nothing on this card is going to get you any anything additional, though. None of those uh, qualifiers. Unless you were a teammate of his, then you just don't remember. No. Nope. <laughs> All right. This guy, we weren't teammates. This guy, I know you will know who he is. He's a great pitcher for the Tigers for for quite some time, and uh, I'm sure Mark will have a nickname for Frank Tanana. Yes, Frank Tanana Daiquiri. Yes. So Frank and I are actually friends. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, he's a great guy. I've actually had the opportunity on a few occasions when we were at conferences together to uh, sit and spend an evening over a cold one and just reminisce about baseball. Absolutely. He's one of the sweetest men you'd ever want to meet. He is a, he is a wonderful guy. The dude's got some serious stats. Yeah. Do you, do you know how many years he played in the big leagues? I want to say that Frank um, played for, I'm going to guess at about 18. 21 years. Wow. That is good work that's, if you can get it right there. That's, that's <laughs> rare. Yeah, that's uh, that's really good. A 12 and 9 mark in 1986, a 4.16 ERA, which was right at the league average that year, and that equates to a WAR of 1.3. Good, good news one. for you, he's got the real stirrups going on there too, so that'll yes, bring that up to 1.4. That's awesome. Way to go, Frankie. You can tell him he helped you Frank out. Thank you for the bonus time. points. Yes. <laughs> now, this one is a, this one's kind of tough. This is a leader's card. It's the Dodgers leaders. And I'm not exactly sure who that is. It's number 18. Billy Russell. Is that Billy Russell? All right. Well, see, yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you an extra tenth of a point of war for just helping us out so I don't have to. That's Billy Russell. The only reason why I know that is that son of a gun. I threw a, I, I was, I had a no hitter going against the Dodgers and, I was in the sixth inning and Billy came to the plate and he hit a little lazy ground ball up the middle. Tempe was coming across to make the play and the ball bounced off the second base bag. Oh, <laughs> that was the only hit I gave up the whole game. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's frightening. That's, that is tough. Yeah, uh, well, so Bill Russell, 18 years in the big leagues, all 18 of them in Dodger blue. Which is so rare. Yeah, that's uh, that's very rare. Uh, 1986 was his final year. He was 37 years old, still appeared in 105 games, hit 250, had 18 RBI, and uh, a uh, 302 on base, which is not too bad. And that equates to a WAR of 0.3. He does have real stirrups on, though. I'm gonna good for good for that. So that'll be a go, plus Billy. 0.4. Way to go, Billy. All right, so you're up to three even, and uh, this is a guy I always say his name wrong because there was a Dodger pitcher recently that has the same spelling but a different pronunciation. This is Greg Gagne. Oh, yeah, I remember Greg. I had Greg Gagne as my starting shortstop in Stratomatic, and he was amazing. Oh, yes, Stratomatic. Yes, still play it. That's awesome. So Greg Gagne, 15 years in the big leagues. In 1986, it was his second full year with the Twins. Appeared in 156 games, hit 250, 12 home runs, 54 RBI, 12 stolen bases, 10 caught stealing, though. So that's, <laughs> that's not a great percentage there. Uh, but that does equate to a war of 0.8. There's nothing else on this card, and uh, I'm pretty sure you are not teammates with... Uh, with Mr. No, Gagne at any no, point. Never a teammate with him. All right. Now, this one is going to be fun because this is a guy that probably is, is you know, if he would have stayed healthy, would have been a Hall of Famer, would have been one of the all-time greats. He did beat my Oakland A's in uh, 1990. It is Eric the Red, Eric Davis. Oh, man. Tough hitter. Eric Davis, of course, had a huge career, uh, 17 years in the big leagues. Ended up with 282 home runs in 1986. Got some MVP votes. That's good news. 27 home runs, 71 RBI, a 277 average, 80 stolen bases, and a 378 on base percentage. And this was not, he was not leading off either. Man. Those are some, some great numbers. 80 stolen bases? 80 stolen bases. And Boy, of course, he that today. didn't even come close to leading the league because Vince Coleman and, and uh, Willie McGee were in the league at that point. Yeah. Uh, all of that equates to a war of 5.3. Oh, holy smokes. Nice. 5.3. That is, yeah. and what that happened is. the next year, he was an all star gold glove silver slugger, 7.9. Which is just huge, but uh, five point three—that is a huge score for you there. Yeah. 
Now, this might, uh, I think you were a teammate of this guy because I believe he was still on the Giants when you got there. It is Jose Uribe. Oh, sweet, sweet shortstop, baby. Yeah. yeah sweet hands at short. He was, he just would, he would glide. Yeah. Short, you know. Just a natural at it. Yep. Yeah. The crowd would chant Uribe, wouldn't they? Yep. At, yep. at Candlestick? Yes, they would. So let's see, in 1986, 157 games, uh, not a whole lot of offense, but that wasn't what you had Jose Uribe on the on the field for. Stole 22 bases, though. That's good, and had a good, pretty decent on-base percentage, and that equates to a war of 2.3. Now, he was a teammate of yours, though, so we're going to give you an extra tenth of a point, so that'll be a plus 2.4. Okay, now what about his stirrups? Does, did they show stirrups? Uh, just a, it's just a... a uh, bust shot here, yeah. Spring training, holding uh, a bat that is stirrups, clearly not even his because there's no pine tar on it. The handle is, uh, it looks like an old bat that Ty Cobb used to use, you know. There's no real knob yep. on it. Yep. Yeah, but that's what he used. It was a U1. Oh, was it? So U1 maybe that was his bat, huh? It had the flare out of the of the uh, the, the knob. Yep, that's... It flared out. Definitely it. And he choked up big time on that sucker, too. Okay. All right, so you've got another leader's card, and I'm going to be embarrassed that I don't know who this is. It, it. I'm not sure if it's Dave Concepcion. It's Davey Concepcion. Yes, it is, for the Cincinnati Reds. All right, well, I'm going to give myself half credit because I wasn't sure that that was him, but with your confirmation, this, yeah. uh, this should definitely help out. How did you, uh, how was it facing those Reds teams? It, it was tough facing those guys. It didn't matter if, if they were older or not. I mean, those boys <laughs> come to the plate. It's just about the intimidation factor, man. You've got, you know, I, I loved facing Pete Rose because from the right side, he was much easier to face. And he didn't like the ball on the inside part of the plate. Um, so I love jamming him. Johnny Bench was a tough guy to face. Concepcion. Joe Morgan? They, they all, Joe Morgan. Yeah, I mean, gosh, they had such a good ball club. I don't, I can't remember if I faced Foster as a Met or as a Red, maybe both. George uh, kind, of, kind of had your number. <laughs> he I hit. Kept my mosh yeah, he hit six twenty-five. He went ten for sixteen against you. <laughs> George, George liked it when you came to town. <laughs> so, uh, had to hit the ball a long way, man. He was he was a big dude. 1986, 38-year-old uh, Dave Concepcion still got it done. 260, 30 RBI, had a couple of home runs, 13 stolen bases, and that equates to a war of 0.6. I can see he's got real stirrups on there, too, so that'll be a plus 0.7. And uh, you're up to 12.2. This is a guy that I know Mark knows. I know him be being an A's fan. It is Jose Rijo. <laughs> Jose Rijo. Jose Rijo. I, yeah, I know him from uh, when he was rehabbing in the minor leagues and I was working in the clubhouse. Good guy. Sweet. Where were you at? I worked in the Tacoma clubhouse. Tacoma. Tacoma. We were the Tigers back then. They were affiliated with Oakland. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Fun times. Gosh, I, I used to enjoy, you know, while I, when I was playing in the minor leagues, I mean, the clubhouse guys were your buds. You know, they were spending as much time with you as you would spend with your family along with your teammates. And I mean, they did so much for us, although I was really stingy. I love shining my own shoes. I was just, I, for some reason, I just like that. So when I got to the big leagues, I'll never forget. Uh, I don't know if it was Ray Peralta, one of those guys or his, his assistants that were helping. I got my bag and I started un undoing it and putting all my stuff away and I was getting the shoe polish out because I wanted to clean my shoes up. And this kid comes, taps me on the shoulder. He goes, Dave, um, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm putting my clothes away and I'm going to clean my shoes. He goes, you're not supposed to do that anymore. He said, we do that. I said, no, man, I like doing this. It's okay. You don't have to do this. No. And he taps me back and goes, Dave, you pay me to do that. <laughs> there you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. 
Gotcha. <laughs> do you ever do you ever uh, make any of them uh, pound out the curveballs or find the key to the left-handed batter's box? Any of that? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Those were my things. Yeah. No. Give me a bucket of steam, kid. You know stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Well, in 1986, uh, Rio went 9-11 and 11 with a 4.65 ERA for the A's. Uh, let's see, 176 strikeouts in 193 innings pitched. So still had, had that. Uh, yeah, he had, he had good stuff. Unfortunately, though, that equals a minus .8 war for Jose. Oh, that's not good, Jose. Come on now. No. Uh, nothing else is going to help you out there. Next, we go to Atlanta. This guy, I believe, might have been on uh, been on that team during that brawl. Rafael Ramirez. Rafi, yes, I remember Rafi. I, I I have a little bit of a recollection of him, but uh, not not a ton. Shortstop. Yep, he was uh, he was a shortstop his whole career. In 1986, uh, he was their sh- maiden shortstop. Eight home runs, 33 RBI, a 240 average stole 19 bases he had 112 career stolen bases in 13 years and that is a war of 0.2 so you're in the positive there that's good yeah, but thank uh, you very much. nothing else there is going to help you out now you've got a hall of famer your first hall of famer this is a good one too it is paul molitor uh i worked out with paul a little bit in the off season in san diego too another nice good dude. yeah another really good yeah, he could hit. That dude could hit. That dude could play ball. He was another good athlete, like Trammell. Mm-hmm. So in 1986, one of the few years that he wasn't an all-star, still hit 281. He was hurt a little bit that year. Had nine home runs, 55 RBI, 20 stolen bases. It, looking at his stolen base total, he was in double figures every year except for two. One of those, he only appeared in 13 games, and the other was his final year at age 41. Beyond that, he stole double digits every single year of his career. Wow. 504 in 21 years. Not bad. Uh, Let's see. In 1986, that equals a war of 2.3. He is a Hall of Famer, though, so you're going to get a whole extra point, and that'll be a 3.3 on that one. Awesome. Next, this is one of Mark's favorite Astros of all time. It's Glenn Davis. I love Glenn Davis. Uh, he, uh, you know, he was one of those guys that for a while, he was the scariest guy to walk up to the plate. I, I loved watching him hit home runs. Yep. Great guy. Really, yeah. really liked, really liked him. First yeah, big fan. Really good ball player, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. First round draft pick by the Astros in 81. And uh, how much did the Orioles want him they traded steve finley pete harnish and kurt schilling that's uh that's quite a haul there for for one player i guess so this is good news 1986 he was an all-star and he also won the silver slugger so there are there's a whole extra point worth of awards and came in second in the mvp voting 31 home runs 101 rbi he hit 265. He slugged 493. And that equals a 4.5 war. So that'll be 5.5. Another big wow. one. You may be setting a record here, Dave. That's awesome, man. This is uh this is uh, a good pack so far and it's going to get good here too. I'm just going to tell you the nickname, King Kong. Oh, Davey baby. Yeah, Dave <laughs> Kingman. Here he is with the A's. That dude good. Flat out hit a ball a country mile. Yeah, I remember he was scary when he would come to the plate. I didn't want to. I didn't want my guys to face him. You know? I uh, I've got an autograph of Dave, a single autograph on a baseball. Man, it was. I remember we were uh, the Giants had a big reunion at the end of 1999. They were celebrating the new new ballpark was going to open up, so we were all at Candlestick, big tent. And all these giants from the past were there. So I was in the clubhouse and Murph, Murph comes up and he goes, Hey, Dave, you and your son, what are you doing? He says, I said, we're just hanging out, trying to get autographs, saying hello to everybody. He says, wait a minute. I'll be right back. He comes back with 18 brand new baseball, (laughs) gives them to my son and says, go and get autographs. (laughs) <laughs> so Jonathan comes back with like four names on one ball. I said, stop, 
I said, from this point forward, I want one signature <laughs> in the sweet spot with all these guys. So, I mean, he comes back with Barry Bonds. We got Bobby Bonds. We got Orlando Cepeda, Willie Mays. Wow. Dave Kingman. I mean, it, it, we, got them all, we got them all full. And I have them somewhere in storage here. That we need to go ready. visit your storage locker. That's what we need That's to do. That's right. <laughs> do an episode from there. <laughs> because, because if we do, if we do, I'll be discovering things I didn't even know I had. I, I think. Let's book it. Let's book it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this is going to help you a lot. So in 1986, this was Dave Kingman's final year in the big leagues. He was 37 years old, still hit 35 home runs, 94 RBI. He would he would fit right in today because he only hit 210. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that wasn't his job to hit for average. His job was to hit the ball hard, and he did. Oh, man, and King Kong was a big man. Yeah, unfortunately, all of those uh, all of those strikeouts equates to a minus point one war. Dave, bummer. Yeah. Now I did look up your numbers against uh, against Dave Kingman. He got you once. He ended up going two for five. So just just another, one home run. Another up hanging slider. Yeah. <laughs> we can pitch. All right, so you got three cards left here. Next, we've got, I remember this guy. I don't remember a lot about him, but I definitely remember his name from the Bucks. It's Johnny Ray. Ooh, I don't recall Johnny Ray. I don't recall Johnny Ray either. So Johnny Ray played for 10 years in the big leagues. Seven of it was with the Bucks. From 81 through 87, he was in Pittsburgh. 86, he led the league in grounded, uh, double plays grounded into. So a pitcher's friend. Also led the league in doubles a couple of years. In 1986, he hit 301, mm. had uh, seven home runs. It's strange for somebody with a, I would think he would have a little bit more speed. He had double digits four years, but a 301 average of 363 on base. He, he did a pretty good job with the bat, but no stolen bases. In 86, a 4.4. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That a boy. Way yeah. Good, wow. Boy. Whoever you are, great job. So, that, <laughs> so that'll bring you up to 23.8. Your second wow. to last card, I do not know this guy with Cleveland. Mike Fishlin, like Michelin, but with fish. Yeah, me on that one. And I was, I was born and raised in that area too. <laughs> Youngstown, Ohio, but I have no idea who he is. So Mike Fishlin. How many years in the big leagues? Got real stirrups, that's for sure. 10 years in the big leagues. Oh my goodness. Yeah, most of it was with Cleveland, five years. In 1986, he was with the Yankees for 71 games, only hit 206, and uh, that'll equate to a minus 0.6. He did have real stirrup, so it'll only be a minus 0.5. That'll oh, bring that you to, help. No, to 23.3, and we go to our final card, and this guy definitely has real stirrups. He is a pitcher for the uh, Seattle Mariners. It's Ed Vandenberg. I remember Ed Vandenberg very well. I think I remember. I think I remember Ed too. It almost looks like he's got a first baseman's glove <laughs> that he's using. I don't <laughs> know that you can really see it that well. I don't think Gosh, I'll focus. Yeah, it does. He yeah. was a uh, yep. Mariners rotation specialist for uh, two or three years, I think. And he, he, you know, we'd run him out there every five games. He gave you a chance to win. Seven years in the big leagues. Four of it was with Seattle. 1986, he was with the Dodgers. One and five, but a, a 3.41 ERA. So didn't get a lot of help, uh, it seems. And that equates to a war of 0.6. Plus he's got real stirrups, so that'll be a 0.7. And that will bring your grand total to 24 even. Wow. Wow. Nice. So 24, my favorite, no, well, my second favorite number, but because of Ricky Henderson. So I, I think that's a good number, a good total. Willie Mays. Willie Mays, yep. Ken Griffey Jr. We got, uh, it's, a, it's a really good number. Yeah. So I wish I could tell you how you did against other people, but the, you're our first player that we've talked to with this new scoring. Uh, our leader in the clubhouse and the other scoring was Richie Schaefer, and then Wes Chamberlain uh, got a big number, and uh, so did uh, Chris Snelling. 
and Sean Lowe, a couple of guys from the from the 2000s. But that's a good number. You're atop the leaderboard. Cool. <laughs> Are you exhausted now, Dave? That's a that's a long, tough game, man. No, that was awesome. I love it. It's it's wonderful. You know, I I don't spend a lot of time with statistics. As a matter of fact, my my wife has had to help me with that. And usually, fans who write me will let me know that I had like a three point one three ERA in my career, and that kind of stuff. Because I'm not a real big numbers guy. Um, I just I was the I was a fan of uh, individual players. I wasn't even a big team guy. I loved. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up in Youngstown, Ohio, we had the Cleveland Indians, we had the Cincinnati Reds, we had the Pittsburgh Pirates. And so when I looked at the Pirates, I loved Roberto Clemente because I loved the way he played the game. I loved Willie Stargell, Pops. I mean, that, and then he just yanked balls out of the ballpark. You know, the Cincinnati Reds with the big red machine and the Cleveland Indians had sudden Sam McDowell and No Neck Williams and you know, all these great characters of baseball players. And I remembered my dad taking me to the ballpark to uh, Lakefront Stadium before they tore it down, the old stadium where the, where the uh, Indians used to play. And I think the Browns played in there too as well. It was one of those games where I was old enough to remember a lot. And I'll never forget, Dennis Eckersley was warming up in the bullpen. And my dad took me to the bullpen and we were standing over the bullpen watching him warm up. And he looked over to me and he goes, think you could do that? And I looked at him and said, yeah, I think I can do that. <laughs> he says, we'll see. We'll see. Nice. <laughs> Maybe one day. And yeah. I never forgot that memory. I never forgot that memory. And, and it was, it was, and I actually have told that, that story since. Um, it was a young 19 or 20, 20 year old kid that came up with the Indians. And, uh, and, and I'll never forget that thinking that here I was, being asked by my dad if I thought I could do that at like 16 years of age and maybe 15. And I thought, yeah, I think I can. As I got older, I began to wonder whether or not I really could. <laughs> I thought Eckersley was asking you that. I misunderstood that, Matt. That <laughs> sounded like something that Eck would say to somebody. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It sounds like something he would say, but it was my father. Yeah, that was that was an incredible experience. And a kid from Youngstown that wasn't even recruited by any colleges to play baseball, uh, who just walked on and, and played four years at Youngstown State University to get the opportunity I got is something I'll never forget. I remember being in the clubhouse with uh, the Giants, and as an alum, I was asked to interview the Hall of Famers. Mm. And four of the five Hall of Famers were there, and I asked them this question, what's the most significant moment in your career? And every one of them said signing their first professional contract. None of them said anything about any performances. It was the first contract. And it was really interesting because three of the four, um, Willie McCovey, Willie Mays, actually, yeah, and Orlando Cepeda, because Gaylord was there too as well. But those three said that they were so excited when they were able to sign that contract because they would get their family out of poverty. Mm. Wow. I just thought, man, that's that's just amazing. Wow. So cool. Really good stuff. Absolutely. Well, Dave, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time, and this has been great. Um, some great nice stories, and this is uh, this is why we love to do this podcast, is get to talk to people like you and, and hear these stories. So, again, we'll put all of your information in the show notes, and, uh, yeah, we really, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Dave, for uh, taking all the time to spend with us, man. That, that was oh, awesome. It, yeah, it's my pleasure, bud. All right, so thank you once again, Dave Javecki. Again, all of the links to Dave's webpage and to to Endurance and all these great things that he's doing are going to be in the show notes. They were in the show notes last week. We'll do it again. So if you wherever you're listening to this, you can just look at that app, and there are show notes in there with links and, and a bunch of other stuff. It is right there if you want to find out more information about Dave Javecki and, and his wife and what they do, or if you need help. That is the place to go. All right, so let's start to wrap up the show now. Uh, again, like to thank everybody for listening. If you are so inclined, feel free to rate, review, pass along this to any of your friends that you might uh, like and they might like baseball. Or if you don't like them, maybe just tell them you know, to listen to our <laughs> podcast as well. It might 
you might get weird. We're we're not concerned of your about how you feel about the person. We just want them to listen to yeah, the show. It's, it's a sheer saying. downloads number. That's that helps us uh, get uh, get more listeners. The higher we up on those charts. But if you can just not get enough of us, you can find us on social media during the week. We are at Two Strike Noise on both Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on YouTube on Twitch. All those things. Our, our OnlyFans is not taking off so much, so we're, we're, we're shutting that one down. But, uh, Mark, you can also find us via the old Gmail account. You want to tell them about that? Sure. You can write to us at 2StrikeNoise, T-W-O, StrikeNoise, at gmail.com. Send us a note. Let us know that you love or hate the show or, gosh, it could be a love-hate relationship. We don't know, but we want to know. We do. We, we enjoy yep. when uh, people send us uh, send us emails or DMS. It's it's all the same. It'll it'll get here. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Again, thank you, Dave Javecki. Thank everybody for listening. Mark, we got plenty to talk about next week. I'm not sure what at this point, but we got a lot. So <laughs> there's tons of baseball history. There really and uh, we got to talk about it. Yeah, we're going to talk about it all. So we will see you again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.